0: Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn and I'm Tanner. And today we have a special guest on the show with us. We have Andrew Peterson joining us. We are really excited to talk with him and talk about his new book. Uh, So thanks for being on the show with us, Andrew. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So before we kind of hop in and start asking you all the questions that we have for you, I just want to give a brief intro. Uh, And then when I'm done, you can correct me on anything I've said wrong or anything that you want to add to it. Um, But yeah, Andrew Peterson is among many things, an award-winning singer-songwriter and author. uh, And he's also the founder of The Rabbit Room, which has published 30 books to date and fosters community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. Uh, But like I said, today we're going to be talking mainly about his newest book, The God of the Garden. Thoughts on creation, culture, and the kingdom. Uh, so, Andrew, yeah, let me know <laughs> anything we should. Wait, there's a lot we could add to it. I know anything that you are like, yeah, let's hit on
1: this. <laughs> no, I think I think that you pretty much summed it up. There's there are a lot of spinning plates. Yeah, yeah. I'm married. You didn't you didn't miss I it. Did not I, mention my that. wife. I've been <laughs> married for 27 years now, and uh, our kids are. Two boys are married, and our daughter, the youngest, is 19. and She's a singer-songwriter, and um, and they all live in Nashville amazingly. Wow. So we get to see them all the time, is good, which man. is awesome. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got it. Yeah. You we got like it. to
2: let the guests get the credit for for mentioning the, all the years of marriage and their beautiful children and all that stuff. So. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'll just jump right into it. I've really enjoyed the book. It's so... Maybe you'll relate to this to some degree. I personally am kind of this mixture of I'm very creative and I really enjoy that stuff, uh, and but I'm also intensely practical, and so I find myself balancing these two halves. Uh, and so books like this are books that when I first pick it up, I'm kind of like, what's going on? Like the practical part of me is like, I I don't, I don't know what I'm getting into. And then by the end of it, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I love this. It was so (laughs) artful and moving and, and it kind of rekindles this part of myself that sometimes I become disconnected with. So all that to say, sometimes Mm -hmm. I have a a trouble, like, even though I love books like this, I have trouble describing them and saying, here's why you should read it. So I'd love it if you could set up the book for us. What what it's about, what you're going for, and and yeah, why you wrote it.
1: Man, well, the, more than so, my last nonfiction book was called Adorning the Dark, and it was about it was a memoir that was about the creative process. So I was like, I'm I want to write a book that will encourage people out there or give people out there a, a a way to think about what it means to be a Christian who is trying to write a book or trying to write songs or trying to figure out how to. Uh, move around in the world or think about their own vocation, whatever. So I had this kind of like very clear, like direction. Right. So I was writing that book with that in mind. I had the constant reader in mind and this one was so different because um, I think they're, they, they go hand in hand or they kind of harmonize with one another, but it was different because I was, it was lockdown 2020 and I was at home kind of not able to tour anymore because of, COVID and, uh, and had this long runway in front of me. And it was a little bit scary, you know, like my, my job for 25 years, was no longer, um, I was no longer allowed to do it. And, uh, and so I wasn't sure what to do anyway. Uh, my, the editor, my editor and publisher at B&H who published Adorning the Dark, they were like, Hey, do you want to write a book during COVID? And I was kind of like, Oh man, thank you so much. But I actually have no idea what I want to write about. And so thanks but no thanks. Uh, I would rather I would rather not have the pressure, yeah. right, of signing a contract and then having to panic and think about it. And then, you know, <laughs> that was early like March of 2020. And then around maybe April or May of 2020, I was like, "Oh, so this COVID thing's not going away." <laughs> and I actually have no idea when I'm going to be able to travel again. And yeah. suddenly I have all these book ideas, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And so uh, so I called him back, and I was like, hey, can we talk about this? So I ended up kind of signing this contract to write another nonfiction book, and then I began the process of trying to figure out what it was going to be. And so I was – we live kind of in the country outside of Nashville, and I have over the last 15 years, ago, uh, years or so fallen more and more in love with what it means to, to take care of the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean – the pla take care of the place specifically here, our home, but also kind of creation in general. Yeah. Like uh there's not a whole lot of talk in the church, or at least there wasn't when I was growing up about about creation care mm. and about what what we were really put here to do, yeah. which was to take good care of this place that God so loves. And so like a lot of new creation theology that I that I missed out on as a kid. This just this weird kind of like uh gnostic to be honest like uh take on the gospel which is that matter is bad spiritual things are good right and i think a lot of people a lot of people out there may still be in that place where they're kind of like wait what's the problem with that like i thought the whole point was i'll fly away and that's not the whole point yeah um you know why because of the bible and stuff right (laughs) so uh (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, all that to say that like I had this for the first time in my whole adult life was, was home for every day of spring and every day of summer and every day of fall. And I got to really take care of the place in a way that I'd always, that I kind of live in this tension because I travel a lot for my job. and, And so suddenly having full permission to just plant stuff and grow stuff, like take care of the land around me to really get to know the birds that came to the feeder and um you know the I've talked about this before but I think I will never not think this is funny but the uh one of the like top google searches during the lockdown was why are the birds so loud? <laughs> Have you heard this? I no. No. I don't remember where I heard it but but people were still the birds didn't get yeah. louder obviously yeah. It was just that we were noticing yeah. that. How was COVID nineteen we making constantly. these
2: birds angrier? Or like
1: It's so funny to yeah. me. Like that that was the search. Um, but that's the thing is like the, the creation is declaring her maker's praise all the time. Yeah. And uh, and I think that sometimes our lives are so busy that we don't hear it. And when twenty twenty hit, all of a sudden that song was really loud to me yeah. and I, and I wanted to kind of like add my voice to it by writing the book so I I wrote it about trees and about childhood and about uh about uh sorrow about grief about all kinds of things and I think the way that I usually put it is that um so trees it turns out play a huge role in scripture mm-hmm. um and i'd never really thought about it until i listened to the bible project podcast about trees and i was just blown away by the fact that they they figure really prominently mm-hmm. in the story that god is telling yeah. they're like placeholders in the story and um and so i at first thought oh i'm going to write a book about trees in the bible and then i realized oh yeah that's right i'm i'm not a theologian i'm a storyteller you know and so uh so i was like I just started writing my story, and so in the same sense that trees are these placeholders in scripture, they also, it turns out, I think are placeholders in our own lives. That like it was a really interesting framework for my own story to kind of pick trees that I remember Mm -hmm. and see what memories they unlock, and uh, and I just for whatever reason, God's presence seems uh, is very palpable to me and has been over the years when I'm in trees and kind of like the bird thing. It's not that he's any more present when I'm around trees, Mm. right? He, it's, it's not like he haunts the forest. Um, but I'm, the birds seem a little louder, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the woods and I'm alone. And so, uh, that's how it was for me. And I was like, I'm just going to tell a story about the presence of God and, uh, and the way, he uh, seems to make himself known in those situations in my life. So I think that's the, the longest elevator pitch you'll ever hear.
2: <laughs> it's good.
1: But that's where the book came from. And you know, somebody, it's funny, somebody just told me recently, they were like, yeah, it seemed to meander a lot. And I was <laughs> like, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> that's like exactly the point is that it's meant to feel like a walk in the woods. Yeah. And uh, and so it does meander, but it does take you somewhere. Yeah.
0: Man, I love that. I. I forget who we were talking to, Oh, we had Gavin Ortland on the show recently, and he was just talking about using creation and beauty of the world around us as a way to show evidence for god and so mm-hmm. as you're kind of explaining this to us and and talking about how like you know, no, we were called to cultivate the earth and things like that, we do we forget about that and and we don't talk about it in church we there is this mindset of. Of like, yeah, well, things are going to be perfect uh someday right let's there's a focus on that and less about where we're at now, uh and so yeah. I just think that's beautiful, yeah, and, and you're totally right when when I'm outside, when I'm taking a breath and really just sitting in creation, what God has has put around us, I think with the distractions gone, I realize there there is this longing right that that I I miss God when I'm, when I'm so distracted by uh, the things that we've created around us, uh, the busyness that we involve ourselves in. And uh, yeah, yeah, I love I that phrase. Too. I'm I'm going to use that as a reference from now on that the birds are a little louder right now. <laughs> that's yeah. great.
1: Yeah, that's, <laughs> good. that's good. And, like one of the things that I try to get across in the book is like, it's not that human culture is bad, yeah. you know, like, it's not like cities are amazing. I love being in a city and I think a good, beautiful city is like, one of the most wonderful things on earth. Um, but we have this in America, especially this hard line drawn between nature and culture. Mm. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like the picture in revelation is of a garden city. Yeah. Right. So a garden is the overlay of nature and culture. It's like you take all these things and then we add our own creativity to it and we cultivate it and we make it. So it's more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And, uh, and it, that's the picture that we get of, of the new Jerusalem. And so for me, it's like, I, I just want, I always want to make sure that, like, I'm not just interested in, in like, tree hugging and, and you know, uh, saving every tree and, like, saying that houses are terrible and human culture is terrible. Like, absolutely not. Yeah. It's just that we d- we don't do it thoughtfully yeah. in America, at least. Yeah. You know, we, we, like, there's subdivisions all around me that have been completely bulldozed. Like, every single tree is taken, is cut down. In fact, there are, uh, uh, I met a woman in our in our uh, community who is trying to document as quickly as she can all of the family, old family cemeteries in the woods Hmm. because she pulled up to our house. She was like, do you know of any old cemeteries? I was like, actually, yeah, at the top of the hill over there. It's like under the leaves, there's all these like, you know, Disney's Haunted Mansion type gravestones that are all from from the 1800s. And uh, so she's trying to document them because if she doesn't, then the developers buy the property and they bulldoze over the Mm. the graves. And she took me to one of these cemeteries, one, one of these subdivisions wow, that was a Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> one of these subdivisions where, you know, they had just put, bulldozed all the trees and put all the new roads in. And she was like, right over there where that culvert is, is where a whole family is buried. Mm. And the the um, developer didn't, they don't want to know about it because then there's all this red tape, yeah. right? And it messes with their plan. But that's the thing is like, that's the bad version of it. Yeah. The good version of it is a walkable neighborhood where you keep the trees and you have, the cafe and the bakery and the farmer's market. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's there's a way to do it and I think we're all moving so fast and money ends up driving it that it's like everybody just slow down. Let's think about what this is going to look like in 200 years. Yeah.
0: I appreciate you clarifying that. that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh so I'm a big fan of a really beautiful city, um but part of what I'm trying to do in the book is to just Man, uh, especially for my specific neighborhood, to try to like make some kind of a difference before it's too late, for the sake of the kingdom. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it is, it is a Christian concern. Yeah, right. It's like the way we build things is a reflection of what we believe about what God put us here for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so if you if you can get believers in the new creation who care about people and community um, to be involved in that kind of stuff, then I I really think that like. It ends up nudging the world that much closer to what the new creation is going to look like one day. Yeah. Sorry, I'm it's a soapbox of mine. <laughs> I just got I just went off. Yeah.
2: I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh. So I don't know if you've noticed, but the whole time we've been doing this podcast,
0: we've been on the boardwalk. It's amazing. It's really hot out today, actually.
2: I know, but the breeze comes in every now and then. It really it makes you feel good, you know, coming off the ocean behind us. You can even hear people laughing and having a good time down at the carnival a little ways down.
0: Yeah, and I between the funnel cake smells and the smell of suntan lotion, I am just, I'm <laughs> overwhelmed. But yeah, we're busking it up at the beach today. It's great. We got our table set up. We're, we're doing our podcast here Uh, And it's amazing. Even just people watching is, is really fun for me in this moment.
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting practice that we've taken up here, busking, but it helps us keep the lights on. And so for you guys who aren't here in real time, we need to set up a solution for you, too. And that's a virtual tip jar. So while you may not be this guy rollerblading by with his boom box oh, yeah. or this nice couple here just walking their dog, you can still help us out. And that's the way to do it. If you want to support us and you want to help us keep this thing going, consider giving through that link. And hey, who knows where you'll see us next week. So you, you've mentioned a couple of these components here in, in your soapbox speech there that we, we enjoyed thoroughly, uh, that you, so when COVID hit, you kind of ha- were forced to slow down. I mean, most of us were forced to slow down, but you especially had been touring for basically all of your adult life as far as I understand it. Um, and so I wonder if the, the slowness of life and like these hobbies of gardening, gardening and things like that, uh, is that something that when you got there, you're like, oh, I've always longed for this and it just wasn't something that I could do? Or, and how much of it was you had to kind of learn to love it and learn to appreciate that, that pace of things?
1: Yeah. So I, I think it was a combo of the two. Like, um, I did because I grew up in, uh, rural Illinois, I have this like really, uh, like real I have really fond me- memories of like harvest time and combines and so from the time I was a kid or, or you know even as a young man when I was beginning to tour if people asked me what would you do if you didn't do music I would say I think I'd want to be a farmer <laughs> and uh that's easy to say I think farming's a lot harder than I realize it is so uh like I know some farmers and it's I'm not sure that I'd be a good farmer <laughs> um but uh but so I have always had this little part of me that, that really wakes up in the woods and like loves hiking and being outdoors. Um, But uh, a lot of it though was moving to a property. Um, It's five acres and it's about half wooded and we moved here and I had no idea how much work it was going to be. I hadn't like no idea how, what would be involved in taking care of the place. Um, Long term, and so I have had to learn a whole bunch along the way. And in the process, uh, like have fallen in love with it. Yeah. so so yes, to both questions. I think that I think the thing is, like um, I put off songwriting as long as humanly possible, because <laughs> songwriting is really hard to do, yeah. right? So the only way that I know that I'm gonna write songs for a new record is if I book the studio time hmm. and I agree to, with the label on a delivery date for the album or whatever. And so, um, sometimes you have to like, before you can change your mind, write it on the calendar and put something in motion that, that makes it so that you can't wiggle out of it. Yeah. And so that to me was kind of like moving to the country. It was like, I bought this place. I know this is going to change my life in dramatic ways. And I have no idea really how I can't figure that out. And I just have to go do the thing. And, uh, and so I I think that's the thing. If I had thought about it too, it's like getting married. If you think about it too much, you'll never do it. Um, So just get married and then you get to experience the, the, uh, the intense kind of soul shaping drama of it all. Um, But you can't know it until you do it. So that's kind of how it's been for me and beekeeping and learning to flower garden, all that kind of stuff. It's just, so there's, last thing I'll say was that my wife um, there's a story about this in my first uh, memoir, but about when we moved here, the, carpet in the house was just this awful carpet. The previous owners had a dog and a cat, I think, and it scratched up the corners. And when we moved in, my wife was like, hey, we're gonna replace the carpet, right? And uh and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we'll take care of that, I promise. And because I'm like, look at all the trees. You know, I didn't care about the inside of the house. I was just all excited about the land. And uh she was like, uh we really need to replace the carpet. And I was kind of like, we'll worry about that later. And so I went away for the weekend. This is the first week we lived here. And I came back um, after my trip and uh, there was all of the carpet was in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> so she and the kids had just literally just ripped the carpet out of the front of the house and put it in the front yard because she knew that I would put it off for years if if she didn't mm-hmm. do that. So she kind of created a situation where I couldn't wiggle out of it. I had to do it. And I think that that's like for stuff that you know is going to be good for you, but you don't really want to do yeah. it. Rip the carpet yeah. out.
2: Yeah. Oh that's good. Yeah, that oh, <laughs> that reminds me of my my mother so much. Like if I had a dollar for every time I came back from camp and like something was in process and it was like we're doing this now. Like this is now nah. <laughs> now the living room is torn apart and we get to put it back together. Uh but I I am like you. I would I would try to wrestle out of that as much as I could uh if I let myself. Um well, and speak, so speaking of memories of childhood, you talk a lot in the book about your childhood, uh, both good memories and then kind of hard ones that you're, you're still wrestling with as an adult. I'm curious. Um, I, I think it comes across, but I'm curious if you could speak to why you think that practice of remembrance is so important.
1: Well, I, I got the. I take the cue from uh, one of my favorite writers named Frederick Buechner. Um, which is spelled B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, Beekner, And uh, he is, uh, I don't land where he does theologically on a lot of things, but like he's a, he's a Christian and one of the best writers, like some of the best sentences I've ever read. He's like the C.S. Lewis kind of guy. And um, a, a lot of his memoirs were really healing to me. Um, he, he wrote, a, a large portion of his books are these really, wonderful memoirs. And, uh, and he, one of the quotes is uh, the story of one of us in some measure is the story of us all,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which is to say that if, if you can learn to tell your own story really well, you stand a chance to empathize with other people and also make them feel less alone. Mm -hmm. So early on as a songwriter, I read the book, it's called Telling Secrets, um, that that quote is in. And man, it was so helpful to me to, to make sense of this impulse that I had to to write story songs, you know, like I didn't want to write worship songs. Not that there's anything wrong with that, (laughs) but um, it just wasn't the language that moved me. You know, like I loved James Taylor and I loved Paul Simon. I loved Rich Mullins, um, who was a Christian. And so like... I just had this real love for that kind of thing. And I had experienced in my own life, these moments where their story and my story intersected. Right. And like the rush of connection that you feel when you hear a songwriter or you read a book and they nail something that you've always felt, but couldn't articulate Mm -hmm. is, is I think sometimes no less than the movement of the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. I think that he moves through the arts. Sometimes he moves through our own stories and, Poems and music and, and, uh, and so for me, it was like digging into the, I had this compulsion to write about my own childhood, which included some of the bad things and some of the good things, but not to try to air my dirty laundry. It was because I'm, my suspicion and my experience is that if I can tell that story, well, if I can be as honest as possible, not just about like the desolation that I felt, but, but of the, the like, overwhelming sense that God was with me in the desolation, right? If I can, like, don't stop at just the bad stuff. Like, go deeper than the bad stuff and, and recognize that there's something wonderful going on Um and that God was always with you. Uh That that somebody out there could read the book and understand the heart of God a little better. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, mean, I mean, that was my experience. I, I think... Like you said, it, it does kind of like meander through. And at times I'm like, where is he going here? I don't. And then you, you kind of, <laughs> you hit the signpost like along the trail and you're like, oh, that's it. Like that's exactly how I felt or that's exactly mm. uh, uh, the way I, I should think about that thing or or whatever. But um, all that to say, it it really, it brings true that like the specific is in the, ge- or no, sorry, the general's in the specific Yeah, if you can tell your story really well, it's probably going to apply to a lot of people. It's something I've been strongly opinionated about for a while, which is in more popular music, there's this sentiment of like, well, I don't want to tell you what the song's about because I want you to take it and let it mean whatever you want it to mean. And to me, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. well, you're not saying anything then. Uh, (laughs) Like, I I love (laughs) to hear the story behind the song because then – when I can more deeply understand what you went through and why you wrote it, I can relate to it better. And maybe that's not true for everybody, but for me in general. Well no,
1: I I think that I I agree with you to a point. Like the the uh you can learn like I love learning the backstory of yeah. a song um after I've already absorbed the song sure. and it and made it my own. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's like and and art art does different things. You know that there's there's different callings within the art community. So like some of my favorite songwriters are guys like Justin Vernon, who's like the Bon of guy. Yeah. I, uh, I think he's incredible. I have no idea what he's talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> yeah. Zero yeah. idea. And in fact, when I've gone through and like read his lyrics, I like the songs less mm. once I know what he's talking yeah. about, because what he's like, I think of him, that kind of music is like impressionistic paintings. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like I'm, I'm more of a, representational painter, mm-hmm. you know, like I, my, I want people to know what I'm saying. Yeah. I want people to see, this is a boat that I painted. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but then Van Gogh, there's all these crazy lines and you get the impression of the thing, but you don't get this specific, the, the doorknob. And so I think that art can do that. Like so, some people are impressionistic and others are realists. And so, um and I think there's a, there's a biblical precedent for it too, which is uh in Genesis two and God is, it mentions that he made some trees to be good for fruit and some to be pleasing to the eye. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I love that. I love that God, like right out of the gate, it's like, hey, some things are, are there to nourish you and feed you in very specific ways, and other things are there just because they're pretty. Yeah. And and I think that what that that illustrates two different kinds of art in a sense. Yeah. You know, like there's some art, like the stuff that I make. I really want people to know what I mean. Mm. You know, when I write a song or a book. Um, but I also, you know. That said, I also there's a lot of room for, you know, the Holy Spirit to do what He wants with it. But then there's other people who, man, they're just singer songwriters who do mainstream music and they're believers and they're like, I'm just making a good song, yeah. you know, and and I think that there's two kinds of trees, and I think that's yeah, awesome. That's definitely true.
2: <laughs> okay, so you, you kind of touched on this already, but you are pretty open in the book about like seasons of depression that you've experienced, and like even you kind of detail some like especially dark moments that you've gone through. And so hopefully this makes sense. But I'm wondering what you've learned about anchoring yourself to Christ in order to to break out of these slumps. Like you kind of talked about the practice of gardening, all these different things to that end. But you also do a great job of acknowledging that sometimes there's joy in the grief and grief in the joy. And those seem like they can be counteracting ideas, but I wonder if you think maybe they work together.
1: Mm. Well, C.S. Lewis... So I talk about this in the book, but to summarize, one of his ideas or his quotes is that um, the sorrow now is part of the joy later.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I trust that in the end, uh, when all things are made well, that I'm going to see the great good of the sorrow that uh, I was experiencing now. You know, mm-hmm. um, which again is just like the gardening analogy is perfect. You you have to till the soil and rip up weeds and. Jesus talked about pruning the vine branches in order that we would grow better fruit, and um, and so I think the the depression was it, for me at least was a season of pruning. Yeah. Hmm. It was like there were some things in me that needed to die, yeah. and and death is always just going to be painful. Uh, in Christ, there's resurrection, and that there's there's uh, I can see now what I couldn't see then, which was that this was a necessary step in my sanctification. Yeah. And in in my be, being further conformed to Christ's likeness, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, the great lie of depression. Um, well, there's two. I think there's two great lies of depression. Okay. Um, one is that you're alone, mm-hmm. and no one knows this but you, and, uh, and that's not true. And that's part of the reason I wanted to write about it was to make sure that people. Who read the book? If they happen to be in a season like that, that they would they would recognize in my story some of their mm-hmm. own. Um, and the other the other great lie of depression is that this is the way that is, it is always going to be. Yeah. Um, we, we are these creatures of time who, when we're stuck in that season, it's just like it starts raining one day, and a month later it's still raining, and you're like, I guess this is my life now. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but in Christ, that's not true, right? Like, like it, it moves that whole thing into uh, a, you, you get a bird's eye view of the picture when you read scripture and you're like, Oh, that's right. This is suffering is doing something there. There's a meaning yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's the thing about, about depression is that it's, it's like we because we can't see the end of our story. We, we always have reason to hope that it's going to get better one day. And as a storyteller, um, that's how you write a story. That's a, that's what, uh, there is no good story without conflict. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of forgot. I, I what think
2: you did. I'm not sure it made sense in the first place, but you touched on what <laughs> I was hoping you would touch on, which is, I think sometimes when I listen to guys like you that I can relate to a lot, it's like, oh yeah, I've been through these seasons of depression and stuff like that. I a ca- a part of me wants to be like, tell me the secret to make that stop happening. <laughs> and I, I think. Yeah. You realize that's not really the case that is part of the process but like you said I, I think once you have a better understanding of those are necessary and they're not the end uh it yeah, makes it yeah. easier and it makes it more purposeful when they do come again
1: yeah i think so and the scary the the thing i struggle with is this feeling that when things are going well i'm always waiting for the other boot to drop mm-hmm. you know i'm always kind of like Oh man, things have been great this year. I wonder if God's setting me up to prune me again. Yeah. yeah. You, know, and you kind of just feel this like, and, uh, somehow there's a mystery in there and I don't know exactly how it works, but like, I, I want like God is a father. Right. And, and uh, like he delights in our delight. Like he's so on our team and, uh, wants what is best for us. And, uh, and so I just have to convince myself when I'm going, like, to to be fully present in the joyful seasons without this fear that things are going to go sideways and that God's going to prune me again. Like, yeah. I don't think that's what he wants, yeah. you know? Um, but we do live in a broken world. And, and uh, as a friend of mine says, Satan is God's errand boy. And so it's like Satan thinks he's ruining our lives, but God's actually making us oh, like Christ. In it. And so— uh, So anyway, so somehow living not in fear, uh, of this, of this like angry parent God, but just realizing that he is grieving with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, he he weeps with us. He's, he's in the pit with us. Uh, um, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't like depression. I've been pretty good lately, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and like, I I haven't really felt it. Maybe it's because I'm taking vitamin D in the winter, (laughs) um, but the, uh, Honestly, like I think our bodies have something to do yeah, with that, too. you know, like <laughs> taking care of ourselves and you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so it's not always some spiritual attack. Sometimes it's just uh, it's the weather. Yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes it's, I ate a bad meal last night. I just feel terrible today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, sometimes it's more practical than we think. Yeah.
0: I was just going to say that to kind of what you were saying, I think for me personally, too, living in this culture of instant gratification. I know that and i've I've said this multiple times to to friends, even on the podcast, like I know that when we go through times of struggle that it is for a reason right there's there's learning we can we can get out of it, we grow from it god God uses what we're going through, and I know that there's an end plan, but I want to know what it is now, and I think <laughs> that makes it that much harder and that much like. It almost makes me feel like, well, well I'm just going to sit in this slump and not think about the joy that, you know, that is surrounding all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate you saying all of that and, and kind of sharing your thoughts there. Yeah. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, like yeah. I was saying before we got got started, my kids are homesick this week, right? It's been like that every other week for the past <laughs> year. It feels like they're yeah. they're finally oh. in daycare, and like oh, they're getting uh-uh. sick constantly. And so I I have this anxiety about like <sighs> okay they're home again. How in the world am I going to work through this? Like I, I just it, yeah. it all gets built up, and I think I I need to just slow down and remember like I'm I'm being given this time with my kids. I should I should really be investing in them while I have this time with them. Um yeah, maybe it's a pain with certain things, but I, I need to take a step back uh and have some perspective on it all.
1: Yeah, man. I I will agree with you there. And I will also say as an empty nester, it's super hard when kids are little, man. Uh. <laughs> it, it just is. <laughs> like we're in this like golden age right now where like Jamie and I are just hanging out, like she's just like bouncing off the walls because she's like I don't have to homeschool anymore. (laughs) Yay. No, we don't have any diapers. So like when we look back at pictures of ourselves, especially on the road, uh, when our kids were your kid's age, um, we don't have that sense of nostalgia. We don't have that like, oh, I wish I could go back. I'm like, man, I'm glad we're not there now. <laughs> it is super hard. Um, so, so got, like, I would just say like, for, if you're listening, like, you can give yourself a little bit of a break. Sure, like, yeah. it's okay. It's okay. Like, you're not a terrible person for being frustrated. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. and I, I will. Um, like, it's a it's a tough yeah, season. I've
2: realized that about myself. Like, sometimes I'm asking people for like, we have young kids too. And I'm, I'm asking people for advice, and what I really want is for them just to say it's hard man and that kind of frees (laughs) me up that frees me up to be like oh okay i don't have to be perfect like i can keep trying but i don't have to be nailing it in order to be a a good dad or whatever or in order to be being faithful at at what i'm given at the moment okay um of all the people we've had on the show, and we've had some great people on the show, as like I told friends, like, oh, yeah, here's who we have coming up or whatever, everyone was like, Andrew Peterson. Uh, <laughs> like, they just disproportionately wigged out. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to use this then. Like, if, if you were interviewing Andrew Peterson, throw me a couple of questions that you would like to hear. So we're, at this point, it's kind of all over the place, but if you could spend a minute on... On, I think we have three or four maybe to, to humor them. I'm sure they would appreciate that. Um, so, one friend asked, like, his question was kind of like, what's the closest you've ever come to giving up? And the way I'm, I might phrase a similar question is uh, like, the more I do creative stuff and, and risky stuff, which most creative stuff is inherently risky, uh, the more I realize how hard it is to stare down this, like, the fear of failure and not, not mm. give up before you even try. And so I'm curious how you've dealt with yeah. that
1: well for first of all it's it's super hard and the only way I have found to recover from the, the kind of getting punched in the gut by some failure or whatever is community is having people in your life who remind you of your calling because it's really it's really hard to know am I failing because I'm doing the wrong thing yeah. like is this God saying hey you're you're doing the wrong thing or Am I failing because work is just hard, mm. and this is this is thorn and thistle infesting the ground, and I, it's just going to be this way. And I think community is is as, in my experience, the best way to decipher those two things. Um, because if if your community is telling you keep fighting, then you keep fighting. Yeah. You know, if they're telling you you can't really sing, dude, don't go audition for American Idol. Yeah. <laughs> then maybe you shouldn't be a singer. Does that yeah. make sense? And so um, uh, that's the best. I, But like I'm sitting on my property right now and, and behind me in the woods, there's a bench that I call the bench in the bend in the trail. And twice I have uh, sat out there and, and wept because, uh, well, one of the times it was because I got the call that the publishing company, this is 10 years ago or something, wasn't going to renew my contract. And I had – I I was going to, I had written the first two books of the wing feather saga and I was out of a contract and, uh, and I, you know, the, the feeling of like, I did my best and somewhere there was a conference room and I was the subject and they all decided I was no longer worth their mm-hmm. time was the story. And, and I remember lying there on the kind of like leaning back and looking up through the trees and praying and being like, Lord, what am I doing? Like what am I doing? Why? Why does this happen to me? Whatever, and I had been dropped from my label before, and and there, are, yeah, there are times when I felt like I think I'm doing the wrong thing. I think I need to stop doing this, and uh, and that was when my wife would look me in the eye and and remind me of my calling, and uh, my church would do it. Certain friends in my music communities. That's that's my strongest advice: yeah. be a part of a church and a part of a community of Christians close community and broader community who, who can, um, you're standing too close to the painting, yeah. you know? So we need, we need people to pull us back and see, see what the Lord is doing and what we were really made for. Yeah. It. That's great.
2: I, I really appreciate when people like you who I think others could just kind of passingly be like, Oh yeah, he's successful. Eh. Admit, admit <laughs> to like the the struggles of that We're in, we're surrounded by all these like get rich quick schemes, and everybody wanting to show just the things that worked and not the hundred things that didn't. And it's just kind of a throwaway line somewhere in the book. But you're like, oh yeah, writing the Wingfeather t- Saga took ten years, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like I don't want to spend ten yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's a good <sighs> reminder that like, hey, this doesn't happen overnight. Like those things that you really appreciate. 99.9% of the time take time and uh yeah they they happen more naturally than we want to just kind of force them to to be really quick
1: a long obedience in the same direction exactly. that's the Eugene Peterson quote that was just uh gave words to the kind of life that I want to live yeah. like I would rather be obedient in little things and I'm not always like I'm yeah. I'm a giant knucklehead in so many ways but like from a career standpoint like It has never come easy for Mm. me. Like it's just been, I just asked Jesus, can I sing about you and Mm. write about you and tell people this story? And uh, when when I was on the bench, I I had forgotten that this is what I asked for. You Mm. know what I mean? It's like I didn't ask for this to be easy, you know, and I don't need the permission of a publishing company or a label to tell people about him or to write about him. So I just had to remind myself that. You know, in in the final analysis, the life I want to live is one of a long obedience, and not uh... That, that's yeah.
2: it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, speaking of wing feather, that's one a lot of people were like, you, you need to ask him X, Y, and Z about it. But I think the overarching <laughs> yeah. question is like, are we ever gonna get more from Andrew? Whether it's more in the wing feather world or if it's another like n- fiction series of a similar type.
1: Yeah. Uh so um two things first is I've signed a contract for another uh young adult fiction story that my son has contracted to do the illustrations for he's an amazing cool. illustrator cool, so he and I are in the process of of uh, a new story which I'm super excited. not a wing feather story something totally yeah. different I want to write a uh murder mystery one of these days mm. um don't know when that's going to happen but I love reading mysteries and so uh, I'd love to try that. And then um, the biggest answer is that we have we are like deep in season one of the Wing Feather Saga animated series. Mm. And so uh, right before I called you guys, I was on Slack approving character designs nice. of some of the townspeople in Glipwood. That's cool. So it's like it's, it's crazy. It's like <laughs> the animation is underway. We're like uh, a couple days ago recorded, we auditioned and ended up choosing our Janner, Tank, and Lily, the three kids. And so those kids are in the studio recording their lines. So it's like the most fun thing to get to tell the story. I love movies and I love, yeah. It's so mm-hmm. getting to see the Wing Feather saga like this and, and the Dream is a seven season mm. okay. uh, series yeah. that will tell the story of all four books. And if we can pull off 7 seasons it'll be like something no one's ever done yeah. before. It's like like Breaking Bad but it's animated, <laughs> right? It's like it's like some kind of like self-contained story that ta- goes on this amazing uh, kind of story arc, but it's all this animated thing. Like I don't know of anything like it. And so I am so excited about yeah. it. And uh we're we're going to start fundraising for season 2 here in Sometime this summer, uh, but that if if we end up pulling off seven seasons, that's the next ten years of my life, yeah. you know, um, and it's not a full time part of my job, but it is a big part of sure. my job
0: that's well, that's awesome. so I have this is almost more of a a comment than a question from a friend, but Tanner has some kind of follow up uh, in regards to other interviews you've done. but anyway, uh, my friend John says, "I do wonder how much his music has affected me in unknown ways." I first started listening to him in 2001, right after his Carried Along album came out. And here I am 20 years later, keeping bees, reading Wendell Berry, playing music, and gardening. I think his music was formative for me in ways that were imperceptible at the time, but that ultimately helped shape my imagination and desires along kingdom lines. All that to say, despite the fact that I got COVID at his concert, (laughs) which was about a month ago, I'm grateful for him and his work. Excuse the rambling.
1: (laughs) Man, that is a that's amazing. Um, It's like it's like I cloned myself. Uh, And I got COVID over Christmas. Oh man, uh, we did. Yeah, Yeah. So my
2: my follow up there, I think it was in another interview or something where you tell the story about meeting Wendell Berry, and you know you're you're talking with them about. Some of the stuff you're doing in your life, and his wife makes the comment of something like, "Oh, you're not one of those, are you?" <laughs> and you're like, "What does that mean? What do you mean one of those?" And she's basically saying <laughs> like, like all these people who you know fell in love and uprooted and like move way off to a farm, and they're they're trying to do that. And he's kind of like, "My whole point was to stay in place, like to to nourish the place yeah. you're at." Um, and yeah. so not that John has done this at all, but I, I wonder if you were to speak to the there, I think there's a slew of people out there who are beekeeping and doing all this stuff because they connect so deeply with the stuff you talk about. But if there's one thing that you're like, oh, I hope they don't miss this, what that would be?
1: Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I think it would be similar to what Wendell Berry said. It's something that I still have not learned, um, which is that I need to be better at paying attention to where I am. Um I travel. It's just part of the deal. It's like I, I, I'm—I don't know how to not go do concerts. You know, I feel like that's part of what I am called to do, and and I feel God's pleasure when I do it. But um, it's it's hard to leave here, and uh, and so I think that the ideally that idea, you know, Wendell Berry is basically saying, um, you know, one of the great lies is that the only way to be happy is to be elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so we all live in this kind of in-between space, and we're always looking over the horizon. And as a result, we never end up making the place where we are actually beautiful, or seeing the beauty in it. Mm-hmm. And the trick for me is realizing that that's also true when I'm in a an airport gate area waiting to board a plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where the Lord has me. You know, this is where I am, and every person around me is this image-bearing um, being. And, uh, rather than just being grumpy that I got to leave home, maybe I need to pay attention literally to these moments. You know what I mean? Like if I have to travel, um, I think I don't want that my, my ache to be home to make me miss the beauty of where I am. That's good.
2: Yeah, if you're more interested in what Andrew's working on, you can check his website out at andrew-peterson.com. He, as we mentioned at the beginning, does a slew of different things. He writes great songs. He writes uh, great children's fiction or young adult fiction. He writes great nonfiction for people like me and Glenn and you. Um, so you should, by all means, go check it out if you're interested in any of that. You can also connect with us and let us know what you thought about the episode on social media. It's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Bible and Stuff. Or you can reach out to us directly by emailing us at hello at Bibleandstuff.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. Peace. Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.